Vince Ferrara joins us for the moment by phone as uh, he just got finished taking care of his pregame responsibility, chatting with Tennessee point guard Santiago Vescovi. Vince, how are you? I am good, guys. How you doing? Doing fine. How was Santiago? He was good. You know, it was my first time to talk to him one-on-one. He's obviously done a few interviews since he's been at Tennessee, but it's just so interesting to listen to him talk because he he sort of slides back and forth between the his the Spanish accent being from Uruguay and uh, and then also the time he spent in Australia. So those two accents go, he kind of goes back and forth depending on what he's saying. It's very very unique and very interesting, very nice young kid and um, you know, I think it'll be a, a good visit that uh, we'll play on uh, um, on the pregame tonight. Yeah, and uh, we can you'll be able to hear that not long after eight thirty. I'd say probably we'll pigeonhole that one for about eight forty as to uh, to <laughs> when you might hear that conversation. But we'll look forward to it as Tennessee takes on Ole Miss. Quick look at the Rebels. This is a team that has run into some frustration. They were a very pleasant surprise last year for Kermit Davis with what they were able to do and get done. This year, I think it might be equally frustrating for Ole Miss for the fact that they have a very dynamic player, somebody who uh, can be as good as any other individual in the Southeastern Conference, but at the same time, just not a great amount of support from the supporting cast. And and I know that Tennessee's found itself in a similar position at times, but uh, Vince, this is an Ole Miss team that has talent. It just hasn't come together yet for the Rebels in conference play. Yeah, and uh, and I think when you have a quality coach like Kermit Davis, uh, I think it's just a matter of time before he's able to bring them together. He didn't have a, a whole bunch of uh, super highly rated guys at, at middle and had great success there. So I think it's going to take a little bit of, of time. Um, you know, on the for for them at the guard position, something that, that Vescovi talked about and, and how good they are there. I wonder if that zone will work, that one two two that uh, worked so well against Vanderbilt. I don't know if if that's something they'll employ tonight uh, or if it will be as effective. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they do give it a shot tonight. But you're right. It's it, if Tennessee can manage the supporting cast uh, with Ole Miss, then it's it should be in a pretty good position. We'll see if Tennessee plays the right way. That'll be a big factor also. I'll be curious also to see what Tennessee tries to do defensively against Brian Tyree. Here's a guy that's coming off a 36-point game against LSU. He's had another 36-point game this year. He's averaging 18.9, and uh, he's been bothered by, I think, a back injury. But I'll be curious to see if Tennessee, what they can do to try to stop him because, uh, Vince, he can take over a ball game. He can. And uh, Jimmy's, I think he's about 6'2. And um, I, I think you'll see a number of different guys on him. I don't think there's, you know, you'll see just one guy get assigned to him. I think Tennessee is going to change its looks. Obviously, Tennessee moves around its pieces. Uh, in the backcourt anyway, depending on the opponent and what they do. Um, you know, they're, I, I, I think Vescovi might struggle a little bit, um, you know, keeping up with Tyree because he is so quick. So this might be one of those games where, you know, they might lean on, on Bowden a little bit more uh, to defend the point because he's a very good perimeter defender. James is, is bigger than him, but also can he – 
uh, stay in front of, of Tyree. So uh, just thinking about those those options, it, it might be Bowden that uh, after they move a couple of different guys around, then maybe they maybe they do like length on Tyree. Maybe a, a Gaines, Devontae Gaines might get, you know, a few uh, possessions to see if the length bothers him. So I think Barnes will move a lot of guys around, but it might settle in on Bowden when it's all said and done. Another note on Tyree. Now, he's missed one SEC game, but in the three SEC games in which he has played, he's averaging 29.7 points. So um, a really a prolific uh, score. They've got, uh, as we mentioned earlier, they have three other players that average in double digits, but none more than 11.5. So obviously Tyree is the guy that they've uh, they've got to deal with most. What, do you think this is um, uh, a, a pretty good indication of this Tennessee team, Vance, the fact that not only do they lead the SEC in scoring defense, but they also lead the SEC in field goal defense. Do you think of this as a real good Tennessee defensive team? I do. I uh, I think it is. Um, it's one that that's where their their focus has been, and it kind of kept them afloat a little bit during some of those games, like the South Carolina game, where uh, they didn't really play well. So I, I think it is. Uh, a real positive that they were uh, that they've played good defense. You know, I, I think Fulkerson can cover a lot of ground, and and then obviously the Ponds being able to block shots. They're long, even though they're not tall necessarily. And you know, obviously uh, Urosh will will give them some extra length as well. But uh, I, I do think that length and and some of the athleticism they have. Uh, I think is is what what's kept them going and and why they're a pretty good defensive team. I, I don't know if I want to put the elite label on them, but uh, I do think they're a very good defensive team. Yeah, th- to me, they've had uh, about oh three games where they didn't play that well on defense, but for the most part, they have been pretty good. One other thing that strikes me about Tennessee, they rank seventh in the nation in assist percentage. Sixty four point six percent of the field goals made have come off of an assist. Um, I, I think that's another pretty good stat. They also rank pretty high in assists per game. So this is a team that is willing to share the basketball. It is. And, you know, honestly, Jimmy, when, when you first mentioned that stat, one of the things that I thought of was uh, Josiah Jordan James because at times he's almost too unselfish. Uh, and I know Rick Barnes wants him to be more aggressive and, you know, hunt his shot a little bit more. Uh, but uh, so you know, yeah, I think I think that's led to some more assists. But maybe at times they don't get uh, the the best shot for them because you know they'll they'll overpass uh, from time to time. But I, I think it's a good quality to have, and I think you can turn on the aggressiveness more so than dial it back. Uh, and I think it, it could very well help them down the road, continuing to be a team that. Uh, relies on one another to get shots. Now, that also, you can look at the flip side of that and say, well, they, they're so dependent on one another, then sometimes you need to be able to create uh, in a, you know, an important clutch or game ending type of situation. Uh, but it's also not selfish basketball. So uh, it's kind of a double edged thing there. 
That's Vince Ferrara with Jimmy Himes. I'm John Wilkerson. We'll get a break to join us. 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. That's how you join us on 991 The Sports Animal. Not so much our job as it is our obsession. 99.1 The Sports Animal. Sports Talk rolls on with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, Vince Ferrara. 656-9900. 656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. And, Vince, you take a look at, for instance, this as we talk Tennessee basketball, volunteers are in a stretch of the schedule, as has been discussed, where they, they need to make the absolute most of these opportunities, don't they? They do, and you know they, it would help them a lot if they're able to get a couple of these wins that maybe on paper there's not the expectation for them to get. But we've seen in this SEC and college basketball season that the favorites aren't winning uh, automatically every night. So I don't know that you can just look through the schedule and say LW, LLW, or however you want to do it. Uh, but in part of that, if you're going to steal a couple, you got to take care of your business in the games that on paper you're expected to win, especially at home. And uh, when you have a below 500 team in, in Ole Miss that has struggled in SEC play, this is one of those games that falls in that category. So it, it's going to get tougher, no doubt about it. But um, if Tennessee plays the way they did in the second half against Vanderbilt, then I think you can view this team a little bit different. They're not perfect. They're not anywhere close to what they were last year with all the answers they had. But they're a team that might be able to get some things done against some of those tough upcoming opponents if they play the right way and give themselves the best chance to win. And obviously you guys have talked about it. We talked about it. Playing uh, up-tempo, playing full-court, and getting some easy baskets because uh, they do struggle in the half court. Those are the kind of things that can lead them to be able to maybe get a couple of those wins. But the first test is, are they going to take care of business at home uh, and set themselves up to really reap the the benefits uh, of uh, reap the rewards of, of beating somebody that maybe you don't expect them to uh, down the road in this upcoming stretch. Uh, shifting our focus to football for a moment, what do you think it means to Tennessee that Harrison Bailey, thanks to rivals, earns a fifth star in terms of his profile? Bragging rights. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what it's all about. I, I think that's a big reason why those stars are there, is so fans can brag about it and discuss it and Um, You know, he was a high four-star anyway, so it's really not that surprising that he's earned it um, and uh, and did so with rivals. So uh, I I think it it doesn't change anything for him, I don't think. But just in terms of the fan base, it's it's exciting for them to say that they brought in another five-star and it'll help them uh, in the team rankings when you put them all together. They were already – you know, after right after the early signing period, as you guys know, they're already in the top ten in their in their class. So now you 
bump a kid up to a five-star should give you a, a nice boost. I haven't seen where the team rankings are since then, but uh, I think it can only help them. We'll see what they do and what everybody else does here in the February signing period, but uh, it um, you know it's, it enhances that class even more in the team rankings. Yeah, if you go with rivals and their rankings, since they're the uh, outpost that gave them uh, gave Bailey a fifth star, Tennessee goes from ninth to now tied for eighth with Michigan. Uh, it does move Tennessee ahead of Auburn. Um, so Tennessee would be tied for eighth with Michigan. Auburn is tenth. Tennessee is sixth overall in the Southeastern Conference and third in the Eastern Division. I wonder if they're counting Auburn with Jay Hardy. <laughs> I guess they are now. <laughs> Depends on the source, Jimmy. Yeah, that's right. It does. Uh, uh, Vince, I was going to ask you a, a follow-up on, on Harrison Bailey. How important do you think he is to Tennessee's future and their ability to take that next step? Because I think we'd all agree that Tennessee's got to have better quarterback play than it had last year. So going forward, how important is it that he comes through and plays at a high level to get Tennessee the next level? Ultra important because I think he's your quarterback of the future. I'm not sure if Maurer and Shroud are those guys. Uh, I don't. Yes, Maurer made some plays at times. Uh, he's still obviously very young as just a freshman last year. Um, I I think you're talking about a different level of talent in Bailey. So if you're looking to the future. I think he's the guy. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to beat out everybody else right out of the gate, that we that anybody should have those kind of expectations on him. But long-term, I think he is the guy, and it won't be long probably uh, before he hops over those guys and he becomes the signal caller for Tennessee. So, yes, very important. It's a position that we've seen in college football the the elite teams that are doing big things nationally, they've got the guy and and a, a a big time dude at that position. That Jeremy Pruitt talked about how he had lost weight. Um, you know his late tape in in that uh, uh, incredible state title run that he had in high school uh, this past season. It, he looks like a, a different quarterback. His late tape to me is better than some of his earlier tape when he was still regarded as a high four star uh looks more mobile with a lo- with some of that a little bit extra weight off he's still a very big kid uh can make all the throws so uh, he's obviously invested in it and now um you know with uh with, with what he's accomplished in high school and now that fifth star uh, the expectations are going to be huge, but yes, I think it's very important that he develop if Tennessee wants to uh, wants to do wants to get back into the national picture and and win in the SEC, which of, of course is is the ultimate goal. I saw another ranking that came out early preseason football. It had Tennessee number nineteen, and so I've seen them now ranked in about six or seven services with their early ranking and there are a whole bunch of them out there but i wonder from your perspective do do you think people are jumping on board tennessee too quickly or and i kind of look at like this last year in the final ap poll there were four teams with at least four losses that were ranked and i look at tennessee as an eight and four team so do, do you think being ranked 19 to 25 do you think that's reasonable for tennessee or would you have them ranked at all 
I think it's reasonable. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would put him in at 19 at this point. Uh, I'd probably have him. Uh, I'm fine with them being at the bottom of the top 25, and that's still in the, you know, in the four win range. Um, you know, possibly five, depending on how how tough your schedule is viewed. Uh, I think the expectation is for them to be better than a than a uh, a five loss team for sure. I, I think when we did our our online poll for record for this team uh, just a couple of weeks ago, nine and three was the runaway uh, winner in terms of record for the Vols next season. So um, uh, that's still a little bit ambitious for me at this point. Let's see. You know, you got to see who is coming back for, for everybody. You got to see what the transfer market looks like. Um, so there's still probably going to be staff changes for, for some teams around the league. So, uh, you know, it's, it's still, it's still early on that, but I, I'm not, a, uh, you know, uh, taking it back too much that it's in that 19 to 25 range. And I guess some of them have them, just on the outside looking in uh, as well. It's because you could find flaws in a lot of other teams that are in that same range. That's why to me, it's not that huge of a deal. And at least it's in a a reasonable area like Nebraska, what they, what people thought of them in the preseason last year to me wasn't reasonable. Uh, I thought Texas was another one that was getting way too much uh, a preseason uh, love for what they still had on their roster just because they beat Georgia in their bowl game last year. I don't think it's unreasonable for Tennessee in, in that range because you saw it on the field and they have, they definitely have some talent and experience coming back. So, um, you know, I, I think that's fair. When you rank a team preseason, do you put more stock in the players returning or the coaches returning? Well, um, both, and then I, and then to me, schedule is a big factor too. You know, just like we we're talking about with basketball, it's not the be all end all because you're gonna, you know, you, you can very well win a game or two you're not supposed to, and lose a game or two you're not supposed to. Uh, I take a look at the schedules too, and and not just who you play, but when you play them, and what happens before and after that game. So there's a lot of factors in, in, involved in it. You know, obviously that's a deeper dive that it's so early right now, haven't done yet. But um, you know, the coaches, yes, yeah, so that's that would be another thing that you would favor uh, for Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt in his third season. You saw the progression from year one to year two, uh, and and they take took those steps. So um, I think that is a plus on Tennessee side, as opposed to somebody else that. Uh, with a, a new head coach, they might have to take that step back, sort of like Jeremy Pruitt had to do uh, to, to take two steps forward. Uh, and, and you know the programs that are in that situation. So, yeah, it's a, the, the coaches, the returning starters is probably the most deceiving out of those options you gave, Jimmy, because uh, in some situations, you know, if the offensive line struggles and they bring all five starters back, I mean, they're all going, A, all going to be better, B, how do you know they're all going to start? They may be replaced by somebody who's better. You know, if they had a good signee or grad transfer or just someone else moving up. So a lot of that stuff for the preseason magazines with the returning starters, in some cases it has value, but in others it can be very deceiving. So I'd probably put that 
at the bottom of the factors in, in trying to do those preseason rankings. That's Vince Ferrara with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. We'll get a break. We've got more with Vince coming up as you listen to Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. Ew. Sports Talk rolls on with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest this hour, Vince Ferrara. If you have a question or comment to or to join the conversation, 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. And Vince, as we've talked some Tennessee basketball, some Tennessee football, um, there just continues to be a lot of good vibes for in big orange country. Don't it doesn't there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you could even throw that, what you guys asked about and talked about earlier with the, the fifth star from rivals for Harrison Bailey, you, you know, you can point to the, the Renata Davis's pretty much game winning shot at the end of, of last night's game against Alabama down one. You look like, okay, you've had all this goodwill. You've, you've now, uh, you stacked up and you look like you're, you're, in a nice momentum going to the UConn game, and now you're losing to Alabama. And then she takes that kind of shot with that high of an arc. Yes. That far behind the three-point line, and it drops. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And and so, yeah, it just continues to add. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's some Vol fans that are probably afraid of, of what might be to come because yeah. it's it's been almost too good and too quiet uh, as of late, for for some that might get nervous about it, but hey, ride it out, enjoy it while it's there. And you take a look at what's next. Of course, you still have the Tennessee Volunteers tonight taking on Old Miss, but the next game for the Lady Vols is Thursday at Connecticut. The next game after tonight's contest for the Volunteers is at Kansas. And so it's interesting how these steps outside the respective conference come in the same week, and I don't think there's any question um, the history much more uh, pronounced for the Lady Vols resuming uh, uh, and meeting Connecticut for the first time in quite some time, as opposed to Tennessee, which just has found itself in this little back and forth with Kansas. They met last year. It went to overtime. Uh, mm-hmm. Jayhawks got the win. Uh, Tennessee had the big win at home after all of the player suspensions that rocked the program a few years ago, where you had Skylar McBee draining an all-important three to stun the top-ranked team in the country. So I just think there are a couple of neat matchups for both Tennessee basketball programs later in this week, but obviously the Vols want to take care of Ole Miss tonight. Yeah, definitely. You don't want that look ahead, and I'm sure coaches are are around the league that are participating in this SEC Big 12 Challenge are are worried about it, especially if they have a name opponent. I don't know anyone that has a bigger name opponent than Tennessee uh, waiting on them on the other end, but... You know, yeah, they. You don't want to go into a game with a loss. Yes, you could bounce back certainly, but you want your kids feeling good going into that those level of games. Um, and so this is like we talked about. This is a game that Tennessee should win, especially at home. Uh, though there'll be a couple more of these later tip games still to come. With uh, yeah, Arkansas at eight thirty Eastern time. Uh, matchup in Fayetteville, and then Kentucky in early March, another 9 p.m. or at least the way it sits right now. But, um, yeah, you got to take care of, of what's in front of you now first. And as far as the Lady Vols, that's another thing. You want them as confident as possible against that level of opponent. 
Have they lost to Alabama? And then you have to start trying to rebuild your confidence against that level of team. Then if you lose, now you're on a losing streak, and then it's a little bit more difficult to reel them back in as opposed to feeling your best possible uh, and then maybe even being sharper because you 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 weren't sharp against Alabama, but you found a way to win the game. And then if you lose to UConn and at least your competitive play well, that's something you can still bounce back from, Jimmy, on the back end. Yeah. On that Renai Davis shot, I, I think if she just shot it higher, she could have run the clock out. <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking. Or she could have hit the Jumbotron. So I don't know. She might have hit the Jumbotron at Jerry's World. That that thing was so high. (laughs) I want to ask you about Jordan Bowden. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was very effective offensively against Vanderbilt, but he got away from shooting threes. Do you think that will be part of the plan tonight from his perspective to just play inside the three-point line, uh, take it to the basket, shoot mid-range jumpers, you think that'd be a better route for him to go than than drifting back to shooting a bunch of threes? One hundred percent. It'll be part of the plan, whether he does it or not, is a different answer. And I, I think it is the key for for him. When he's able, he's a good driver to the basket. He can slash, he can cut between defenders, taller defenders, and overall I think he's a good finisher. So those are the things that can keep him A confident, B Engage more in the game. When he's hanging out beyond the three-point line and teams are giving him extra attention or denying him the basketball, it now is an a open invitation to take him out of the game in a lot of your offensive possessions. And that's not what's best for Tennessee. So when he drives, he can create. Tennessee just doesn't have enough of those guys. That's one of the things that a healthy Lamonte Turner would bring to to this team is he was a willing driver and could create off of that. Tennessee doesn't have the pure uh, low block post guys. So a driver to me is even more important and the bigs can help him too. When the bigs are, are flashing on the lower block as opposed to too high up, then I think that it, the, that will create some of those driving lanes for Bowden. And I think Josiah Jordan James did it a little bit too in that Vanderbilt game in the second half. He drove a few times. And I like to see him do it more also instead of just hanging out waiting to hit an open three. He has the athleticism to be able to do it. So I I would say he's another one that needs to be more aggressive off the bounce. But I think the bigs can help him if they can create and and have those driving lanes for Bowden by showing lower in the block. I mean, Rick Barnes used to get on Grant Williams about that all the time. You got to post up lower, closer to the basket. Don't let them take you away from the basket. Now you're having to shoot jump shots as opposed to just making a quick spin move near the rim. Fulkerson, when he gets it down low, he's pretty tough to stop. He's got some length now with his arms, even though he's not necessarily uh, you know, seven foot or anything, but he's pretty tall. So I'd like to see those guys help him there. But it, when he's creating like that, and obviously defense leading to offense, he's a, a terrific open floor guy also. So I, I think he, that's another way he can get baskets is uh, it is offense leading to defense. But, yeah, hanging out beyond the three-point line, even though he has the ability to shoot those threes, not his best. I'd also like to see him make an early three tonight because of his struggles in those last three uh, home games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plavsic, we've had a chance to see him twice. 
what is reasonable to expect from him? Well, I think he's a guy that can maybe help them win a game or two this year. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be a, a star that goes off for 30 points. I'm not sure that he's so early in his basketball career. He's two games into his playing career. I'm not sure he's at that level of player uh, right now. But I think he's a guy that will do some important things for him at times. I think it's very it's helpful that it slides Fulkerson and Pons uh, to more natural positions, the four, the three, if they're if they're on the floor all together, um, and and I, I and and it gives you gives those guys the ability to to be more effective with their weak side defense, especially Pons with blocking shots, where he, he it's it's easier to do that as opposed to bodying up on a bigger offensive player right there. So uh, I, I think I like that turnaround. Uh, in the lane jump mm-hmm. shot he he has um i think he can make a baseline shot i've seen him in practices he's he's got an offensive game um he's not the athlete that Kyle Alexander was but he's more advanced in terms of his offensive skill set than Kyle Alexander was and then obviously the link to at least bother people he um he's not one that i that is like Alexander where we would see him Sometimes he can go out beyond the three-point line, guard a a a, uh, a guard when Tennessee could switch at all five positions because he was such a good athlete. They're limited and they they can't really do that uh, with Urosh. But I I think if if he's around the lane, I think he can impact uh, offenses and and help them uh, a little bit with obviously five more fouls. Also, I think that's plus. Our guest, Vince Ferrara. We've got another segment to hour number two coming up to join us. 656-9900. 656-9900. That puts you on 99.1, the sports animal. Making average people feel more attractive since 1876. From the Budweiser studios of Cumulus Broadcasting, this is Sports Radio WNML. Final segment to hour number two of Sports Talk, a final segment with Vince Ferrara to join the conversation, 656-9900, 656-9900. Cool picture that uh, was tweeted from the Senior Bowl, as Jeremy Pruitt down there with two of his players, and mm-hmm. really cool to see them enjoying uh, this aspect of just adding to their collegiate careers before they officially draw to a close. And that is a neat experience like this. And I don't think there's any question that Jeremy Pruitt, very, very thankful to what this senior class meant to the program taking the step it took this year. No doubt. They don't turn the season around if it wasn't for those guys. Now, he got it going with that meeting after the Florida game, but he needed those seniors to help coach and motivate from within. That peer uh, coaching and pressure and motivation, it's so valuable. All those coaches talk about that for a reason. Because it's necessary. And, you know, good for Daryl Taylor and put out on social media a little thank you to the fans. And, you know, that he was thankful even for his adversities because it helped shape, shape him and, uh, and, you know, get him, keep him going. And he was a big factor. He didn't have the kind of senior season that maybe some thought there was some preseason expectation that maybe he could be, uh, like Josh Allen at Kentucky this year that didn't play out. But he was still a, a factor for them and played well down the stretch. It, it is, um, 
it, it's definitely neat and good for Jeremy Pruitt to have to be there for that uh, for those guys and to have that power T represented when honestly a lot of years recently they haven't been down there yeah so why not and it's a it's a uh, a really neat thing for those two guys there was four vols that. Uh, we're in All-Star Games this past weekend. Dominic Wood Anderson at the East-West Shrine game. Then you had Nigel Warrior, Daniel Batuli, and Mar- Marquez Calloway at the NFLPA game. Uh, so now it's these these two guys, and we'll see if they can take advantage of their week. Uh, my DVR will be full. <laughs> it is already going and set, ready for those senior bowl practices. I love that kind of stuff. I see it every year. I know people roll their eyes. People probably work here roll their eyes. At me enjoying, yeah. See, <laughs> see. <laughs> Set myself up for that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is—it's the—it's the two great worlds of college football and the NFL colliding in this whole draft process. And you learn so much with uh, with Charles Davis and Daniel Jeremiah and all those guys before that Mayock before he went to the Raiders. Just learn so much about all these players. The front, what the front office is thinking, team needs of of the NFL teams, how they were coached in college, and how it translates to the NFL. Just so many neat things between those two. That's why I like it. Yeah, and you were pointing out on Twitter that it's uh, it just shows you how the team turned around from, now granted, it lost Jimmy Garoppolo so early in the season, mm-hmm. but the San Francisco 49ers coaching staff was coaching a team in the Senior Bowl last year, was coaching one of the sides, and now they're preparing for the Super Bowl. It is amazing because typically those are two of the the three or four worst teams in the league that coach there. So now it's the Cincinnati Bengals and the Detroit Lions that are the two coaching staffs this year. And to have that kind of turnaround, they had to do a lot more than just get Jimmy G back to mm-hmm. put that together. Jimmy Very and I talked so. about it a little bit yesterday. John Lynch from Bronco. Right. Should Buccaneer. be Hall of Famer. Yeah. Should be Hall of Famer. He should, no doubt. You think he should be in Hall of Famer? I do. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> why'd you roll your eyes at me again? No, I'm just um, but uh but no, I he, no, they, I think that eye roll bounced off of me <laughs> and went in your direction. <laughs> but it is incredible. So John, are you gonna take uh, Bengals or Lions for next year's Super Bowl? Uh, no. <laughs> I will not. It's a one-time thing with the Niners. I'll say this. I do believe that if indeed they were to make their first ever trip to the Super Bowl, that Matt Patricia would be on time for that. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) What was that deal? We looked up. um, There are three teams that won four games, and then the next year made the Super Bowl. Only three. Yeah. Do you remember who the teams were? Yeah, San Francisco, then the Rams. The year they played the Titans, and then the Bengals before that. That's right. The Bengals have done it. Uh-huh. It's in their history. Joe Burrow. Yeah. That's right. I just don't think Zach Taylor was a part of that. <laughs> I'll, and I'll say this. The president, Zach Taylor. For, for him to be in the uh, in the position that he was, uh, I I think he, he did all right this year uh, because you knew going in they were awful. And even though they didn't win a game in the first half of the season, they were competitive. And, I mean, they came very close to beating the 49ers in a matchup mm-hmm. earlier this year. So I just think they were much more competitive than their 2-14 and 14 record would indicate. And so I would give him a thumbs up much more so than the other first-year coach in the state of Ohio in the NFL this past season, mm. who is no longer. Yes. Yeah. And they'll have yeah. another first-year coach there. <laughs> That's right. right. Um, let's see. Why don't we get a call from Stu? You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Stu. Hey, guys. How are you all this afternoon? Well, I hope. Yes, sir. Hope you are. 
Doing great. Listen, I've got a couple of questions. Number one is, how in the world have the college university presidents allowed the NCAA to get to the point that it doesn't really answer to anybody for anything? And number two, I want to ask you all if through any of the sports journalists, either air or written, that you all know of, can anybody explain while a guy is still head coaching at LSU and why Penny Hardaway, who paid $11,500 for a kid to move in this area, are still allowed to coach college basketball? Is there a specific thing that you're talking about with the NCAA and, and the college presidents you mentioned at the start of your call? Is there a specific situation you're re- referencing? Well, no, it's not specific. It's just that the NCAA doesn't appear to have to answer to anybody. And it appears that the college presidents are the ones that have allowed it to get that way. And if I'm wrong, please correct me and tell me who did allow it to get that way. Well, membership in the NCAA is voluntary. That's where it goes. And the membership can fire the president of the NCAA, who's Mark Emmert. But I think in many respects, he does what the presidents want him to do. Yep. And um, But the more – there's there's been a shift now with, with his popularity. There have been more people on his case. Um, Will Wade at LSU question, how does he have a – a job still. Well, Penny Hardaway, by the way, still has a job. But anyway, yeah. how does Will Wade still have a job, Vince? What do you yeah, think? That's a that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously there there were there was the the phone conversations, yeah. the, the tapes. You th- I, I just didn't see it at the time, John. Is something that he could overcome, right? And who knows? Uh, we've just seen, I guess, or recently seen a letter of allegations go to Kansas. Um, I don't know that he's free and clear, but to this point, LSU feels that it has enough to have stayed the course. It's, it's yeah. LSU's decision. Mm-hmm. They could have cut bait with him and, and cut ties, and they chose to bring him back. And then also, it's the same with Memphis and Penny Hardaway. Well, in LSU, yeah, okay, Wade said he made a strong offer, but there's no proof he actually paid him. So that's the LSU argument. Mm-hmm. There's no paper trail. Well, there usually isn't with cash, but anyway. And the burden uh, of proof that the NCA just does not have that to be able to. They have to be one hundred percent sure. Yeah, they don't have subpoena power, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it, I mean, right now you've got institutions that have stick, stuck with coaches. Same with Kansas and, and Bill Self. And you also had a Kansas football coach who filed suit against Kansas for saying, "Hey, they're withholding the money they owe me because of violations, and I want them to open the book on Bill Self." And right. Kansas should say, "We don't want that. Here's your money." <laughs> Right, and he knows it. That's <laughs> yeah. why. Vince, in 30 seconds or less, what's going on at 991thesportsanimal.com? Well, an awful lot. we got tons of different podcasts, Vincenzo's You podcast. Joel has behind the Arc of Basketball podcast, all the blogs from Jimmy and a number of our staff, and then all the post game from tonight. You'll see it there uh, and much more. Just go to 991thesportsanimal.com, check that menu tab, and, and you'll find a lot of great info that you might not have seen before. They should make that a part of their daily routine, shouldn't they? They should. Every day. 991thesportsanimal.com. Vince, can't wait to hear your conversation with Santiago Vescovi later tonight. We're thinking at 8.40-ish or so on the pregame. And uh, so we look forward to that, and we'll talk to you at the half. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. That's Vince for.